Hare Krishna, Pancha Kalpa, Krupyascha, Krupyasindu, Vyabacha, Pakitanam, Padani, Bhyam, Vaishnavi, Bhyam, Namaha. Welcome again to the class on the 11th canto, chapter 23, called the Song of the Avanti Brahmana. This is continuing discussion between Krishna and Uddhava. Uh, you would recall that in the previous chapter, 22, uh, Krishna ended the chapter with talking about one of the miseries of material existence being insulted, ridiculed, or envied by bad men. And... Uh, uh, one thing that is also one has to get over uh, is binding, just the sense gratification is binding, this kind of suffering is also binding, and one has to look, use one's intelligence to deal with this thing. So, uh, we have uh, raised that objection and asked him to explain explain to him how how this uh, how this can be done. So we're on text number five of this uh, this chapter. I'll just uh, read the verses that we've already been through. Sukadeva Goswami said, Lord Bukunda, the chief of the Dasharas, having thus been respectfully requested by the best of his devotee, Sri Uddhava, first acknowledge the fitness of his servant's statements in the Lord who's Glorious exploits are both worthy of being heard. Began to reply to him, Lord Sri Krishna says, this text too, O disciple of Brahaspati, there is virtually no saintly man in this world capable of resettling his own mind after it has been disturbed by the insulting words of uncivilized men. Durjana, really simply in Sanskrit, bad men uncultured people. Sharp arrows which pierce one's chest, this is text 3, and reach the heart do not cause as much suffering as the arrows of harsh insulting insulting words that become lodged within the heart and spoken by uncivilized men. My dear Uddhava, in this regard, a most pious story is told, Mahapunyam Itihasam, purifying, punyam in the sense of purifying story. Uh, And I shall now describe it to you. Please listen with careful attention. So that's where we've gotten so far. And uh, before the story actually begins, there's one more text. This is text number five. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So he introduces the story like this. Kenachit Bhikshunam Gitam Paribhutena Durajanai Smarata Yuktena vipakam nidja karmanam. So the 
Translation here, once a certain sannyasi was insulted in many ways by impious men. However, with determination, he remembered that he was suffering the fruit of his own previous karma. I will narrate to you his story and that which he spoke. So this is Kenachit, uh, a uh, certain... And here the word for sannyasi is bhikshu, bhikshuna gitam, a, uh, uh, a certain sannyasi, uh, did I do this right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, because actually they don't actually translate here bhikshu, this is where you get the title of this chapter, the bhikshu gita. The song of the, the sannyasi, the word bhikshu, we discussed this last time. It's translated here word for word, uh, in the word for word as sannyasi, renunciate. Literally, it means beggar, because the, the, uh, those who were renounced, like monks, would live simply by going door to door and begging. This is bhikshu. So, uh, uh, his song here is Bhikshuna Gitam, uh, who was uh, 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 insulted, and here the word again, Durjanai, by impious men, bad men. Uh, and then Smarata, uh, remembering uh, his nidja karmanam. Uh, well, he, 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 he became fixed in his resolution, rather, uh, determination, jutti uh, yuktena, by, by uh, uh, fixing his jutti. Uh, jutti means determination of mind. Uh, by fixing that, uh, he he became uh, 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 and oh, so so here here fixing by fixing his determination he remembered vipakam nijakarmanam he remembered that he was suffering the fruit vipakam consequences nijakarmanam of his own past activities. Uh, uh, the word uh, vipaka that's used here, the consequences, the literal meaning is ripe. The fruition, the ripening and the maturity. And it actually says in the Sanskrit dictionary here, of the fruits of action. And they say in the dictionary, if, for vipaka, effect, result, consequences of actions in the present or former birth, pursuing those who commit them through subsequent existences. So they, they got that right there in the Mona William Dictionary. That So he was thinking, the sannyasi, uh, with his determination, uh, Svarata, remembered or thought of, uh, was able to think of this, 
because of fixing his resolution. Uh, first, uh, let me let me read the uh, the uh, purport here, uh, commentary. They quote Bhakti Siddhanta says what he Thakur's commentary. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta says what he Thakur comments as follows. Often those who give up the materialistic path and devote themselves to renunciation are attacked by impious persons. This analysis, however, is superficial since the punishment is actually the cumulative result of one's past karma. Some renunciates show lack of tolerance when presented with the remnants of their previous sins and are thus forced to enter again the path of impious life. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu therefore instructs that one should become as tolerant as a tree. If a neophyte on the path of devotional service to the Lord's pure devotees is attacked by envious persons, he must accept it as a consequence of his previous fruitive activities. One should be intelligent and avoid future unhappiness by rejecting the ethic of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If one refuses to enter into the enmity with envious men, they will automatically leave him alone, he says. That's, that was, so that, that purport by Bhakti Siddhanta says what he Thakur was uh, 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 included here. Um, so uh, there's a one 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 uh, uh, Peter Burwash, uh, a, a, a famous tennis player who then became a, a tennis pro, uh, who then became a, a teacher of tennis and then used tennis to start teaching businessmen uh, uh, good character and good things of life. Encountered Srila Prabhupada in Hawaii and had some discussions with him. And so he would then use his thing as a kind of coach, uh, inspirational teacher uh, to teach vegetarianism and other kinds of things to to businessmen, uh, inspired by Srila Prabhupada. And one of the things that he said, that Prabhupada told him when he asked him for advice was, never become angry at the instrument of your karma. So it's the same thing here. When something bad happens to me, I have to accept it as actually they are simply the... I've done something in the past that has caused this suffering, and I I don't become angry at them. They're simply the instruments of my, my karma. And this is how we learn this quality of forbearance. Uh, so this is the this is tells how this person the story tells the story this uh, this uh, uh, of the bhikshu. He's, when he speaks his resolution his resolution is bhikshu nam gita. Uh, 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 which is the source of the standard title, the Bhikshu Gita. That appears later on in text 42 to 57 when he comes to and expresses his full realization. Uh, but that's really what he, uh, he uh, lear- learned about 
so I want to just uh, uh, there's an analysis uh, we find uh, that's given in the Nectar of Devotion and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu about the stages of karma when we have committed some kind of especially a sinful activity that exists in four different stages. Uh, this is the uh, uh, taken from the Padma Purana, which says uh, uh, that, that karma, the consequences of our activities, are parabdha and aparabdha. Parabdha karma means those reactions from which we are currently suffering that happened. But there's also aparabdha karma that we don't see yet. They're, they're waiting to take fruit. Uh, we've done some uh, sinful activity. Or, uh, there's a reaction there, and it's on its way. And so these are the stages of those things which are discussed uh, here. Um, uh, uh, so when, uh, it's translated like this, this Padma Purana. There are different stages of dormant reactions. This is this Abharabdha uh, Palam. Palam means fruit. So the fruit is Abharabdha. It has not manifest yet. Uh, there are different stages of dormant reactions to sinful activities to be observed in sinful life. Sinful reactions may be just waiting to take a effect. Palan unmukha. Reactions may be still further dormant. Kuta. The reactions may be in a seed-like state. Bija. In any case, all types of sinful reactions are vanquished one after another if a person engages in devotional service to Lord Vishnu, Vishnu Bhakti. These will be vanquished in uh, uh, due course of time. Uh, uh, so uh, when Prabhupada discusses these, he, he discusses them as this um, uh, so when I've, when I've committed the seed, a uh, sinful activity, there's first of all, there's the bija of the reaction. Right? It's there. Uh, uh, and then, uh, then with that, uh, then with that seed there, uh, 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 that's, uh, then there is the effect, which is not yet fructifying, the plant. So then the seed has started to grow, uh, but it's not yet there. And then this palon umuka, which is almost there. And then there's the parukta karma, which has... Um, you're already suffering for. It's, it's delivered the fruit that you... So there, there may be this fallen umuka just waiting to take effect, uh, or the ones in the seed life state. Then this idea of, of kupta uh, stored up, 
uh, uh, kuta means if I commit a, commit a, commit a, a sinful activity, it may the other sinful activities will result that the, the, the desire or the tendency toward further sinful activities is, is there. It's not a particular focus of one. But then the seed will be there of a, let me do this. And then, uh, then when I commit the act, then that, that seed will sprout and in time this fala umuka that will, will, will take place. So these are the, uh, so then right now they're the sinful reaction from which I'm already suffering. Uh, uh, I, 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 I may be, when, I, when I'm born, I may be born with certain disadvantages. These are the results of past sinful activities. I may also be born with certain advantages, and this may be the result of uh, previous pious activities. These are, you know, being born in a, in a wealthy family, having good looks, good education. These are all supposed to be, they come to you uh, just because, uh, because, because of what we've done in the past. And similar, there's misfortunes. People are born in extremely mis- unfortunate conditions sometimes, and they're already a given. And sometimes somebody can be in really bad shape, and all of a sudden, a certain date, boom, you know, they win the lottery, some good thing happens, because that's already, some good thing was stored up. So everybody knows that life isn't fair, and that human beings are born into different conditions. Uh, uh, How does that happen? Why does God do that? and so on, people can't understand it. But we have a history. Uh, And so uh, what one has to learn is that that if if one one reason why, for example, Jesus says that you should forgive those that, 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 that harm you or hate you or work against you because to work against them, to want revenge, gets you back into the same cycle. And if you, if, you, if, you, if you do like this, it says, here, I must be suffering from something I've done. This is the instant I come of my karma. You're, you're, you're out of the cycle of karma. Uh, and so this is... And sometimes it's fairly... There's two levels. First of all, uh, we, we may uh, become careful in our activities and not, uh, and like this Brahmana, in some ways he was pious. He was performing all the prescribed duties. The, 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 the karma kanda Brahmanas of the Vedic are very much like strict Orthodox Jews. Their whole life is governed by a ritual, and following those rituals is pious. It's a a pious activity. So he was doing that. Nevertheless, uh, he had problems. Uh, And we'll we'll see what happens. He could not deal uh, with with, uh, the, the other side of it. What to do is if you're doing all that and still something uh, bad has happened. So this is a, important, more difficult to deal with 
of these kinds of when you haven't seen to do anything and still you get insulted and and uh, and hurt. So this is why this is a very important lesson. And and Bhakti Siddhanta mentions here sometimes when you become a devotee, you find out. Uh, I mean, I, I myself remember when you know the first day I actually shaved my head and put on a dhoti and everything, and then walked into an office, and I was used to being treated nicely by secretaries and, you know, just like certain things that came, you know, I'm a white guy in America, I have an Ivy League degree, you know, I just expected a certain level of civility, <laughs> and it just disappeared overnight, you know. <laughs> it was like really, really like a shock, you know, and then I realized, well, a lot of people put up with this all the time just because of the color of their skin or something, you know, but... So it was it was it was good to to actually undergo that. There was a lesson to be learned. So, but we should remember that 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 we have these stored up things, and they they are um, uh, still there. And when one performs devotional service, they go away, but they go away. You know, uh, in, a, in a kind of, uh, as it says here, a krama, a sequence. It will not happen that they'll disappear all away. And uh, uh, sometimes uh, there was just a discussion I heard. Uh, um, I think Hari Sori mentioned this, that Prabhupada said something. When, when Srila Prabhupada left his family life and became renounced and went to Vrindavan to really devote himself to preaching, he was gored by a cow. Uh, and you see, he's done all this stuff, then why does this happen? Uh, and uh, one reason something like that happens, like you see a very advanced devotee, it, still they suffer from something. Well, in that case, that person, because he's so advanced, actually will not take birth again in the material world, will go back to Godhead, go to the kingdom of God. But because he has no future birth, there may, he may undergo some sudden state of misfortune to clear up the last remnants of a minimized vikalpa and just get them over with. So that may be the and that cleans up the slate, and you know. Uh, so sometimes we'll we'll suffer something, but it's a kind of a token punishment. And and, and these adverse things, if they happen, if we know how to deal with them, can can be a benefit for an advancement in spiritual life. So that's why this, this chapter is really important. So now, that's, that's the introduction to the story uh, that, that will now be narrated. And now with, with text number six, Krishna relates the story of this Brahmana from uh, Avanti. Uh, this starts with text six and goes up to 57. And so the first part of this uh, from text 6 through 13 will describe before he became renounced it will be the Brahmin's wretched life as a miserly householder. Uh, uh, 
So this this description of begins here with with text six. I'll I'll, I'll read the, read the, the the text here. Avanti shu dvija kaschit asit adyatmana shya varatavritihi kadaryastu kami mudho tikopanaha. The translation is. In the country of Avanti, there once lived a certain brahmana who was very rich and gifted with all opulences and who was engaged in the occupation of commerce. But he was a miserly person, lusty, greedy, and very prone to anger. That's the translation here. So it begins... Avanti Shu in Avanti, uh, Dvija, which Dvija means literally twice born, a Brahmana, born from the parents and then born again through spiritual initiation, so they're called Dvija. By the way, birds are also called Dvija in Sanskrit because they are born twice. Once the egg comes out of the mother and the egg hatches. <laughs> they're called Dvija too, but. Uh, so uh, I think Sanskrit people delight in these using these kind of, this kind of words like that. Anyway, and so he was, and he was Adhyatamaha, very rich. Uh, uh, Shriya had a lot of wealth, opulences. Uh, Vartavritti, uh, he earned his livelihood by business. He was. Uh, Kadarya, which they translate here as miserly, but he was kami, lusty, luptak, greedy, atikupada, very prone to anger. Uh, uh, so this mentions this is uh, Avanti, and it says here uh, in, the, in the purport, according to Srila Sridhar Swami, the Avanti country. Is uh, is the district of Malwa? Uh, it says here uh, the commentary by Vithanath Chakravarti Thakur says uh, Malava. Same word, actually, <laughs> different spelling. You know, Malava or Malwa. Uh, 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 there's no W in Sanskrit, so Malwa is a vernacular way of saying Malava. And as far as I can understand, that's uh, looking it up in the Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, uh, it says that Avanti, it's Avanti, uh, 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 which we know uh, the city uh, uh, Ujjain was the capital. Uh, they say here in the Wikipedia uh, in the, uh, that Avati was an ancient Indian Janapada, that is to say a realm, roughly corresponding to the present Malwa region. And, uh, 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 and when I looked up Ujjain in the same source, in ancient times the city was called Ujjayini, as mentioned in the Mahabharata epic and Buddhist literature, Ujjayini was the capital of the Avanti kingdom. And I've been to Ujjain, 
it's also mentioned as the place where Lord Krishna and Balaram went for their education. The, the ashram of Sandipani Muni is still there. You can visit there. So that's this place, this Ujjain. We're familiar with this. Uh, and uh, 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 and that, that, that region, uh, the boundaries change over the years of the different kingdoms, but that's basically where it is. Now, uh, interestingly, like here, the, the, the BBT translates this as miserly. Uh, it says here, uh, this Brahmana was extremely wealthy, doing business in agriculture, banking, and so on. Being a miser, he suffered agonies when his hard-earned wealth was lost, as will be described by the Lord himself. Uh, um, uh, when this is translated by by Banu Swami, he says uh, the second. He says he was infamous. He uses the word infamous instead of miserly. He was infamous. That has had a very bad reputation since he was lusty, greedy, and very prone to anger. That's because uh, uh, Swami used the word reproachable. He could be reproached for these bad qualities. But I just want to say that um, the English word miser means two things, actually. It comes from the Latin word miser, which means wretched or unfortunate. And the same Latin root is the source of the word misery. So miser and misery are related uh, the Oxford English Dictionary points out that the Spanish and Italian word misero has like the have like the English word the two meanings of wretched and avaricious. Avaricious, another way to say greedy. So the English miser earlier in, in, in the history of the English language could be used to mean either wretched or greedy miserable or greedy, and the modern use of misery combines both of them, and, and the, the, the definition of miser, strictly, is one who hoards wealth and lives miserably in order to increase his hoard. In other words, a miser, he collects money, but he doesn't want to spend any of it. So he lives, he's got a, a lot of money, but he lives just like a poor man. Uh, and maybe inflicts misery, as we'll see on every miserliness on everybody else. Of course, now there's a wider use, which just means a greedy person, avaricious and greedy person. Uh, uh, so, so this was, uh, and so he was also misery, and he was also wretched, and also reprehensible. All those meanings come into play. Uh, so. Uh, um, now, uh, inter it's interesting here. He was a brahmana, but he made his money by commerce. Now, generally, a brahmana, being of the priestly caste, is supposed to, he has these uh, traditional occupations are given. This is what a brahmana does. Patana, patana, yajana, yajana, dana, pratigraha. Uh, he, he, uh, patana, patana. 
He knows the spiritual literature. He knows the Vedic literature, Patana, Patana, and he teaches it to others. Yajana, Yajana. He performs sacrifice or worship, Yajana. And Yajana, he should teach others how to worship or assist others in worship or guide others in worship. Yajana, Yajana. Uh, and the, and the fine one, the final one is, is uh, dana and pratigraha. He accepts charity from others. Strictly speaking, a brahmana will live by charity. He doesn't charge money for anything he does, but he receives donations. This is how the priestly class is supposed to live. And then if he has anything left over, he gives it in charity. He's not supposed to accumulate wealth. So that's how a brahmana is traditionally supposed to live. So how did this brahmana become rich? Well, it says in, in, in Bhagavatam 7.4, uh, excuse me, uh, the seventh canto in the 11th chapter, 14 and 16 describe the occupations of a brahmana. And also what's described here is vartavritti, uh, that is to say, the, that which is the occupation of a vaisha, a mercantile person, uh, agriculture, cow protection, and trade. So the, the idea is, is that a brahmana will receive, especially in the olden days, before we had simply such a, such a you know, cash economy, uh, economy of money, where he would receive, receive in charity, people would give cows, people would give land. So he could take care of those land and take care of the cows for his livelihood. That was permitted. But still, it doesn't mean that he would become wealthy. Now, all over India, you know, at one point you see wealthy Brahmins everywhere because they didn't really follow the whole thing. And when they got a lot of money, they didn't give it away in charity to others. They became corrupt. And that's why eventually... And then it was a hereditary caste system. When it, the, the perversion of it is the hereditary caste system. Instead of just like having the proper qualities, the hereditary caste So you may have a pious brahmana, but, but his, his family members, his sons and daughters, they were not... Just by being born, they were considered a brahmana. They got some wealth from their, their father, and they then misused it and became greedy and therefore, you know, mistreated other people and, and uh, therefore, you know, that hereditary system. So, so Prabhupada, we, we, the, the, this system, the actual, the, the Daivi Varnashram Dharma, that Varnashram Dharma system which is given by Krishna is not hereditary. It's by guna and karma. You are, you are a brahmana, uh, a mercantile person, uh, a, a kshatriya, a government or military, or a sudra, general assistant, not by birth, but by quality. That's what Krishna says. So now the whole thing is falling apart, but but, uh, but this, is, this is what Krishna teaches. So he was greedy, hoarding, and stingy. He was, so even though he was actually a brahmana, uh, it is okay that he was engaging in some commerce, 
He can also do the vritti of a Vaishya if, if things don't work out, and he's got these gifts of cows and, and land and so on. Uh, so he wasn't a good Brahmana. Uh, even though, which we see later on, he performed all the proper sacrifices and did all the proper rituals, he was miserly, greedy. There's a f- famous uh, uh, a, uh, Christopher Marlowe was a contemporary of Shakespeare, younger, older, younger, he died younger, contemporary of Shakespeare. One of his plays is about a miser, and one of his lines is, infinite riches in little rooms. (laughs) That means something is very, very valuable. (laughs) So that mentality is there. Uh, So this is his description now. This is setting up for the story because now he's going to suffer some reverses uh, here. Jnatayo titiyas tasya. Jnatayo titiyas tasya. Van matrena hi narachita. Shunyavasta atmati kale. Kamaya Anarajitaha. The running translation in, uh, uh, in his home, the void of religiosity and lawful sense gratification, the family members and guests were never properly respected even with words. He would not even allow sufficient gratification for his own body at the suitable time. So he's he's doing the rituals, but at the same time, uh, what we have here is these uh, these uh, uh, relatives uh, and uh, the atita, the guests, uh, uh, were not shown respect vakmatrena, even by mere words. It says that when a guest comes to your house, you should receive them nice. If you don't have anything, give them a glass of water and welcome words. Not to treat a guest properly is sinful. Uh, and also the, 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 those who are your own, those whom you know as your own, the, the relatives, uh, they also are due respect. Because uh, his home is described here uh, as uh, uh, empty, shunya. It's devoid of uh, avastate. Avastate is, a, is, is a, a living place, a home. It's devoid of these things. Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says it was household life without acts of dharma. Although we see he does it. But in name only, you can say, you know, they perform sacrifice in name only. Uh, uh, what, what, was it, what was the Sanskrit for that in the Bhagavad Gita? Uh, uh, Dhamba Yajna. Dhamba Yajna. And even at the suitable times for sense enjoyment, he didn't do it. I mean, when you sit down to a meal, it should be pleasant to taste. It, it should be, you know, he didn't, wouldn't do that. He was stingy with spending on food. Uh, 
suitable time. He could have sexual relationship with his wife at the right time for begetting a child. He didn't do, you know, whatever it was. He, he, was, he, he just didn't allow anything. So you could, you know, you don't have to punish yourself if you're a householder. You can have a decent chair to sit in. He didn't do it. Wouldn't spend money. Clothes were rags. You know, you can just imagine what he's inflicting on his, his, his household. And remember, this is at a time where households were large. It wasn't, it wasn't the nuclear family, one man, one woman, and maybe one or two children. And that'll be clear in the next verse. We'll do this one last verse, I guess. Adushilasya kadadriyasya. Here's that word again, miser, kadadriyasya. Dushilasya kadaryasya duhyante putra bandavaha dara duhitto vritya vishana natsharan priyam. Since he was so hard hearted and miserly, his sons, in laws, wife, daughters, and servants began to feel inimical toward him, becoming disgusted they would never treat him with affection. Uh, Vishnu Chakravarti says they became hostile to him because of his, this dushila. The word shila means uh, your conduct or your disposition, your habitual way of liver, living, uh, your, therefore your character. And so do is, that prefix means bad, his, his bad character. Uh, so because his bad character and because he, again, this, well, he, was, he was miserly, stitcherly, uh, uh, they developed enmity toward him, uh, it said. Uh, somehow or other, this word vishana, which is translated here as disgusted, uh, uh, is in the dictionary says dejected, sad, despondent, sorrowful, downcast, more like that. And that's the way Prabhupada translates it elsewhere in the Bhagavatam. Depressed or morose, is, your word is usually morose. I don't know why uh, they came up with disgusted here. It means, uh, you know, low-spirited, downcast, more, more like that than just disgusted. So, a big crowd of people, because typically uh, you have a person who had some property in a family with like four or five sons, say, because remember that this is before the time that sex and reproduction were separated from each other. So he had sons and therefore uh, daughters-in-law, they would come and live in the same place and, and his in-laws and his wife's relatives and then servants would be household servants. All of them, they did not treat him affectionately. They, he made their life very, very uh, uh, difficult. So this is what his life was like. He was, although he had he was prosperous, although he was successful, although he was a brahmana, and at least in name only, and we'll find the next verse, he did the proper sacrifices, household sacrifices. 
he was unhappy and everybody was unhappy with him. This is his situation. Okay, so I will stop there. <laughs> we'll pick up with this. This is just setting up the story, of course. It's setting the scene for when uh, all these things, uh, these, these things uh, uh, took, uh, took place. So we'll pick up again, well, I, not next week. We have a break. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, in Kitanagari uh, 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 next week, so we won't have this class. So we'll pick up again with uh, text number nine. Quite a, quite a heavy-duty picture. They... they, they uh, a painter, this, uh, we don't know his name, by the way, it's just a big shoe. So we'll switch over uh, now for some time for questions. You can type in uh, if you're uh, on, on the um, uh, Mayapur visuals and uh, press uh, the, what? Star six to to ask a question if you're on uh, on the uh, conference call. Okay. Prabhu has a question on Mayapur TV. Yes. Hi, Krishna, Ravindra Prabhu. Once you had an article in Back to Godhead regarding the Jewish preacher whose son died of horrible disease and wrote a book which was the bestseller in the USA, wherein he mentioned that God had no control about bad things happening to people. That's a question. Could you kindly reiterate the phrase you counteracted by this karmic action reaction, Aprabhadapalam papam kutam bijam? <laughs> a book that came out in the 90s, I think the 90s already, do bad, uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. His name is Rabbi Kushner. Uh, and uh, he had suffered very terribly. He had a son who had this condition, progeria, I think it's called, of premature aging. So his son died of old age around the age of 10 or something like that. And it was a pretty horrible thing. And he found his faith tested, and uh, he, it's, it's the, 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 the it's a standard problem in theology, what they call the problem of evil, that bad things seem to happen to undeserving people. And therefore, uh, uh, St. Augustine, when he dealt with this problem, he treated it very logically. He put it in the form of uh, uh, a dilemma. He said, the premise is, uh, uh, bad things happen <coughs> to people who don't deserve them. Uh, so evil happens, and God doesn't stop it. So if, if, if God doesn't stop this evil. Either he is not all-powerful, he wants to, but he can't, or he's not good. He 
inflicts this evil on people. Because everything God is in control, so if evil happens, that means at least he lets it happen. And if he lets it happen to people who don't deserve it, then, then he's bad. So to have a God that's both all-powerful and all-good is seen to be as uh, 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 not possible. And actually, Kirshner later on got in, some people got in touch with who, who do teach that, that God is actually not all-powerful. Uh, uh, because he said he could... He could love a God who just, you know, suffers when I do and just these things happen. It's not quite in his control. Uh, and uh, uh, there, there, there is something that in one sense uh, we have a little freedom. We do have free will. And so God lets us exercise our free will. So in that sense, he... But how, but the ability to exercise it uh, uh, is, is granted by God. So we have some scope. We, we do have some free will, a little bit of free will. So in that sense, if God had the monopoly on all power whatsoever, but so, so our, our freedom is really... If you get down to any choice, whether to surrender to God or not surrender to God, that's the scope of our freedom. How we surrender, what happens when we—that's that's God's business. Uh, that's not our, our that, that's not in our scope. Because actually, we have to surrender. There's two ways to surrender. One is favorably in devotional service, and the other is unfair. Those people who say. I'm never going to bow down to God. I'm going to do my own thing like that. They surrender at the time of death. I guess that's the biggest thing people hold against God is you have to die. In the material world, janma mrityu jaravyadi, dukadoshana darshanam. Krishna mentioned these as things we should recognize, the evils of birth, death, old age, and disease. Well, people don't recognize birth as suffering but certainly old age, disease, and death are. So if God were really good, we wouldn't get old, we wouldn't get any disease, and we wouldn't die. There's a place where that happens. That's called the kingdom of God. What people want here is the kingdom of God without God. Then they will be, you know, there. But we've turned away from God, and so we're still controlled by him, but we are now controlled by a material nature directly and unfavorably. And without, without, keeping, without stopping us from giving some scope to turn away from us, he nevertheless controls us uh, indirectly through the laws of material nature or the laws of, of karma. And of course... The, the biggest thing for the problem of evil, and see Christian theologians discuss it, is the fact that people are born, like, like this the rabbi's son, was born with a disease. Certainly the, 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 one, the newborn are innocent. Well, actually they're not. They have this stored up karma from previous lives that come with them. 
Now, I've had people then say that's blaming the victim. <laughs> but, because you could be very callous if somebody's suffering and you say, oh, that's just your karma, you deserve it. Uh, but that's not the attitude we take. We should be compassionate upon those people and help them whenever we can. That's our obligation. Uh, so it's not, and of course, blaming the victim is what's called in logic begging the question. Begging the question meaning assuming what you're supposed to show. Are they victim means you're innocent, but that's what's a question. So, so you've already assumed this, this, uh, this, uh, uh, the the idea that that your victim means somebody who's innocently suffering. Children are innocent. They're not. They're not. They have to go with them. And of course, you can see uh, his children. Uh, by the time they're one year old, they've already got a character, yeah. and they've already they've already got virtues, and they've already got faults. Some child in the face of some provocation will be completely composed and another child will flip out. They haven't had time. They've got a character already. It's already there. It's come with them. Because when you take this body, you bring the subtle body from your last life. So the good and evil are there. So it's not blaming the victim. Even there was a, there was a famous uh, football coach, soccer coach in England, who was giving a lot in charity and all the other stuff, but he was, he was uh, a Buddhist. And he said something in public about karma and how people are suffering a reaction to their own sins, and he lost his job because it was blaming the victim. He was saying, it's your fault, you're suffering. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, I, I didn't see that anybody pointed out that that's, that's actually... Uh, begging the question. Because if you believe in the transmigration uh, of the soul, you, you know you're not innocent. And in the beginning, we turned away from God. That's what the Christians call original sin. It's not something we inherited like a genetic defect from Adam. We did it. We turned away from God. And we're suffering the consequences. And the remedy is to turn back toward God. And as we make advancement, the first thing we discover is that we are spiritual, we are servants of God. Uh, I'm going back to Godhead. I may be suffering the remnants of my past sinful activities. I just endure it, uh, accept it as Christmas mercy. And if we accept these untoward things that happen as Christmas mercy, we will find out how they will help us in our spiritual advancement. And we'll see how there's Krishna's mercy. But if we resent them and we blame God for them and become angry at God, uh, then it won't help us. I remember once some guy moved into the temple. He wasn't that interested in Krishna consciousness, but a person he admired had become a devotee, so he thought he would try it. So he would come in the temple and he was working hard. And while he was cleaning the kitchen, it was an old rental building that we had, some, 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 of, the, some of the plaster from the kitchen ceiling fell on him and hurt his back. And then he was, all every class, any visiting lecturer, he would bring this up. Why, when he moved into the temple to surrender to God, did God dump the ceiling on him? 
and he was angry about it, and we could, he could not get over it. <laughs> and, of course, he left after a while, and nobody gave him a satisfactory answer, although we tried to explain it to him as best we could. He was just angry. And we find that, by the way, let me just bring this up, one of the things that uh, is there, we find in people, we try to uh, help them with, with their devotional life, their Krishna consciousness, is there's a lot of anger at God that people have. Uh, it's, it's a huge amount of anger that, that bad things happened to me. There was the Holocaust. There was this and that. There was this, uh, you know, the plane crash, the, this plane that was just shot down over Ukraine. There were all these good people on the Why did this happen to them? Uh, and people are, and if you think about God, they're angry. They're angry. And then when I, when I run into people who, who, who describe to me that they don't believe in God, and I, I ask them to describe the God they don't believe in, that anger comes out because then they describe this really nasty, vengeful evil. They describe the demon. And I can always say, well, I don't believe in that God either <laughs> because <laughs> they, they, they don't understand. And that being angry at God is, is, is really you know, misplaced are not going to help them. And at a certain point, we, we have to accept responsibility from our alienation from God and our taking birth and death in this material world uh, and accept that, yeah, I'm fallen. And it's my fault I turned away from Krishna and start to take this remedial steps to put myself back. And that's what this chapter is about, some of the things to do then. Okay. Here from Hawaii. On the phone. It's on the phone, okay. Let's see if I can hear it. I think that may be me. Yep. I'm passing the phone up to Rick. Okay, go ahead. Please accept my humble obeisance to serve in the for My obeisance is. I want to ask a question in all seriousness. I hope you know, it doesn't come across as like just being cute or funny. But. Um, uh, in the relationship, the close relationship between family members, husbands, wives, you know, mother, father, son and daughter, you know, there's so many clashes that can take place because of the intimacy. Is there any difference between how you, you deal with and how you, um, you uh, uh, keep on a spiritual platform from that and people on the outside? Um, I'm not speaking of, you know, of course, if you're a father, you, you, your duty is to correct the son or the daughter. But as far as your outlook, if an, um, a family member yells at you or treats you badly, whatever, is there a difference between how you should spiritually see, uh, deal with the situation for your own consciousness? Well, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, for spiritual principles, uh, I really can't think of how uh, uh, directly there's a difference. Um, uh, the, the spiritual principles of being forbearing, tolerant, and everything are the same. Uh, 
uh, with family members, it's sometimes harder with the people that are closer to you or that, that you expect or that you have to associate with <laughs> because they're family members. Sometimes there are people you can just stay away from uh, because they're not related to you and just, just uh, you know, try to appreciate whatever good qualities they have from a safe distance. And sometimes with family members, you are not allowed that safe distance, so it becomes a little, a little more difficulty. And because of the proximity of, of family members, it's, it's, and these days it's more, more painful because, uh, uh, yeah, because, because uh, those kind of family quarrels, especially when you lawyer up on either side for a divorce or a child custody fight or something like that are really, really painful. And uh, those kinds of things uh, seem to be, since we're now further advanced in Kali Yuga, are becoming more uh, harder to deal with. Uh, it's one of those things that... that uh, that even you can't trust your own family to, to help you out or back you up or sustain you or support you, they become the problem rather than the help, help of the solution. Uh, so uh, that's, uh, that's, that's re it's really tough. But I, I don't see on principle that there's any spiritual principle involved uh, it, 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 there may be practical, of course, things you, you have to do, and you have to have some kind of uh, people skills and all those things like that, uh, which we may be more or less endowed with those things. But spiritually, the principles should be the same. So if a family member screams at you, for instance, or something like that, it's the same, Trinata, peace, and Echena. There's no difference. Yeah, there's no difference. There's no difference. You become tolerant like a tree, forbearing, and, and so on. The difference is it may be harder rather than easier. Amen to that. Okay. <laughs> okay, we have another question on um, my poor TV. From Mahavidi, he says, Hare Krishna, please listen to my humble obeisances. This question is loosely connected to the lecture. What are the karmic consequences of accidental killing of a person, for example, in traffic accidents when, when a person is killed also partially contributed to the accident? When the person killed also partially contributed to the accident? Is it any different from karmic consequences of murder? I'm sure the karma consequences are different. Uh, e even the legal consequences are different. Uh, and I'm sure the karma con con consequences are, are all also. Uh, and uh, what, how they're different than what they may do to me would depend completely on the, the circumstances uh, and uh, whether uh, I was completely at fault, partially at fault. Uh, uh, you know, it could be ne negligence on my part, or distraction, or 
you know, if I, if I got in a car accident because a bird flew into my windshield, that really may, I may be completely blameless. So those, those kind of considerations go into, um, uh, go into, uh, 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 come into effect uh, in those, those, these conditions. We are tool, and when when are we when and when we contribute? Well, we may be both. The instrument of somebody else's karma, uh, and that may be because of our own karma, also. That makes it makes us do that, and, and but uh, yeah, that, that that's a fact. Sometimes it's both, and sometimes not. A follow-up on this entire topic, I'd, I'd just like to ask um, or some clarification on you. You mentioned earlier in the class um, that sometimes we get a token punishment. Mm -hmm. But also understanding the nature of Krishna, we understand that Krishna is not some god who's sitting up in the sky ready, you know, wanting to, like, throw lightning bolts at us every time you move, you know, a wrong move. Uh, so where is this punishment coming from? It's the karma, not just God wanting to punish us for any wrong move we make, or is it a system that's set up to do so? Punishment it reduces it, but it's 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 if you accepted it that way, it will be helpful. Uh, I mean, the the point of punishment is always to be remedial. It's to improve us, to 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 help us out. It's not just not just to to uh, so we need it. Where is it coming from? It's coming from Krishna. Krishna is there. He's, he's, he's somehow arranging it for it to happen. But, you know, I mean, as we make advancement in Krishna consciousness and we actually have some superior knowledge that I'm not this body, that I'm not the mind, some of the really horrible things in the material world we realize uh, uh, they're not happening to me. The more I identify myself with the material body, the more something happening to it seems like horrible. But the more we, 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 we ourselves realize and understand I'm not my body and that I have a happy life that's independent of the course of material nature, what well, may look to somebody else like a really heavy thing, to me is not. If the perspective is different, and if you see the whole spiritual situation, yeah, it just doesn't affect you in the same way as it, as it will. And you also can see that other people who are not their bodies are suffering from something that's happening to their body, but it's really on account of their false identification with the material body. Because after all, I mean, the death rate here is 100%. It's not that if somebody dies, they've been unfairly singled out for special punishment. And death is death. I mean, there's no good death in some ways, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> unless you, a good death is where you're fully conscious and Krishna conscious. But otherwise, the process itself is 
you know, maybe faster or slower, it may be somebody else's hand, it may be at this time or that time, but it happens to all of us. It's a hundred percent death rate. Uh, and uh, you know, and this is one other thing I have to say about the Bhagavad Gita is that when Krishna sees the universal form, Krishna really puts all this card on the the table. I am death, the destroyer of the world. I've come to engage all people. It doesn't hide it. <laughs> it's up. It's up front. This is what, and the, the main thing that we should learn from that in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, yeah, I am death. I've come to get, I, I, he sees that universal form, of all the armies, everybody going into his mouth. He's devouring the whole world. That's like really awful. But he sees that behind this form of death, there's Krishna. And that makes it completely different. This is just a, a, a superficial face of Krishna, and he's actually there. Please show me that form. But it's the same Krishna. And if you have that realization, you won't, you won't be disturbed. Okay, another question by phone. This is your wife on the phone. Uh, you know, I have a question. I mean, we're talking about um, forbearance and toleration of the instrument of your own karma, but exactly what does it mean when we're tolerant and forbearing for the instrument of our, towards the our good karma. In other words, I mean, we can feel gratitude and ultimately to Krishna, but, um, I mean, uh, our good karma, uh, many times that also comes in the form, you know, and, and uh, we're, we're supposed to be detached at the same time grateful, or how, how, do, yeah. how does that work? If, if, we're, if we're Krishna conscious, we should be grateful for both the so-called good karma and the so-called bad karma. We should see them the same. They're both coming to Krishna and they're, they're, they're by his grace, they're coming to help me. Well, actually, but, uh, advanced stage of Krishna consciousness, we see them the same. We've said repeatedly in the Bhagavad Gita. You see them as the same. And the way you see them as the same, not just that you sit there in a stoic, that you know you have a high pain threshold, but you see them as the same because you see that whatever it is, it's, it, it, it's coming from Krishna. Well, actually, I should, have, I, I should have gratitude for all of it. Yeah, well, well I, I mean, I really remember reading how uh, there was one person who was very critical of Bhakti Siddhanta, followed him everywhere to criticize, and he, he saw that as Krishna's kindness because it made him, you know, be super careful to be very, um, you know, pure. But, and so, but we don't think about like when, you know, when someone is um, the in, instrument of, a, of, of the good karma, 
I mean, other than gratitude and seeing this coming from Krishna, like, what's the actual personal interaction just to, I mean, sort of thank the person for being... Oh, yeah, of course. Sure, I, I, I of your, I mean, yeah, I think normal civility is fine. Yeah. Uh, gratitude uh, should be expressed and all, all those things. Yeah, you should just say just the instrument, I'm not going to... No, that would, that would not be... <laughs> Uh, nice to do. But then we don't want to become entangled in, okay, now we have to reciprocate. And, I mean, reciprocate on, a, on, a, on one level, but we don't want to then have to be the instrument of his good, co- you know what I mean? How it can kind of go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like how a Brahmin doesn't Help feel, in de- and a Brahmin doesn't actually, is, is warned against feeling indebted in the sense that, sure. You know, yeah. Sure. I mean, indebted. I mean, you give them Krishna consciousness, Sodom or something, but that indebtedness could also lead to um, difficulty. Uh, so well, yeah, yeah. So the indebtedness would mean we we would we would we should feel gratitude to those people, uh, and and we we should reciprocate, but we should do it in an appropriate way that doesn't increase either my for their entanglement, but for both of our good ways. And I think if we have that in mind, Krishna will will kind of guide us into what would be that, uh, that appropriate way to express uh, our gratitude without increasing anybody's uh, attachment or entanglement. Yeah, good question. Yeah, so, so it's like Krishna protecting about that us. Before, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, Krishna Krishna promises to protect us, which, you know... Uh, and protect us from our, and, and you know, but it, it it gets a little complicated. To, and yeah, thank you. Well, okay. <laughs> Anything else? Finish now. We've got a little over time. So thank you very much. We'll resume uh, probably week after next. We'll be we'll let you know for sure. With uh, Canto 11, Chapter 23, Text Number Time, Text Number Nine, Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai, Shri Bhagavatam Ki Jai.